Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast. This is your graduate student co-host, Brandon Saxton. And Katie Gordon. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing well, how are you? I'll tell you, I'm I'm half asleep and uh, <laughs> and and this the semester is pulling me down, wearing me down. Uh, I'm weary. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know. I actually feel pretty good. I, I don't have a lot of grading left for the behavior mod <clears throat> excuse me. The behavior modification class I'm teaching. So I've just got the final project, which I have about like half of those graded, and then the final exam. So sitting pretty well for That's that. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I just have a bunch of grading to do. But... Yeah. It catches up at the end, but mm-hmm. that's why they make deadlines. So we have <laughs> to get it done. Um, any other sort of current event things coming up? Star Wars coming up? Yeah, I'm very excited yeah. about that. Be seeing that next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be awesome. Um, other things, Infinity War trailer. Did you happen to see that? I didn't see that. Pretty no. awesome. Uh, let me tell you right off the bat who my favorite character was on the trailer, Black Panther. He's awesome. He's the coolest of the Avengers. Universe. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has a really sweet line, I think, in the trailer that I won't spoil for you, but we can talk about that after you get a chance to watch it. But I've watched it a couple times now, so that was pretty good. And, um, yeah, I don't know. My mind is mostly dominated by Star Wars. Apparently there was a new TV spot that had like a really big spoiler on it. Oh. So I'm really, I tried to avoid trailers for a long time. Then we saw Thor Ragnarok mm-hmm. and Justice League. And I think I was uh, subjected to a couple of trailers there. So I'm looking forward to the movie. I am too. I don't feel like, I haven't been going on my way to see every single yeah. piece of it or anything like that. But I do think that, whoops, but I do think that, um, I'm, I'm not going, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be really exciting. That's probably the movie I'm most excited about. Well, this year was Wonder Woman, so it is hard yeah. to kind of compare them. But either way, mm-hmm. I am happy that it's only a week away. Yeah, we're getting really <laughs> close now. We'll finally get to see the Porgs up on the screen. Those little Porgs. They are adorable. Called. I saw some Porg Pez machines at the Ooh. store. They looked very, very cute. I might need one of those for my office. Anyway, <laughs> sort of besides the point. I'm distracted by Star Wars now. Uh, I do have one quick thing before we start on the topic of the day, which is going to be borderline personality disorder on the TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and that is that today's episode is sponsored a little bit, I guess. I don't. I feel weird saying that still because I don't. This is our first time we've said it, I guess. <laughs> so this is someone who. Uh, this is a company actually, not an individual, called Adagio Tea, and they actually make really cool teas. I'm a pretty big tea drinker, Katie. You're a I, I drink uh, tea occasionally. Tea yeah. drinker, yeah. And what's really cool about Daijo tea is that uh, not only is their tea really good, high, uh, well-rated, highly rated, but they've got some really cool uh, tea based on specific fandoms, which is pretty exciting, I think. So, for example, they've got, like, Sherlock. Have you ever watched Sherlock, Katie? Mm-mm. It's pretty good. Uh, Harry Potter, Doctor Who, Star Wars, Hannibal, Supernatural, DC Comics, uh, just like specifically Batman, and probably the one that excites me most of all, Hamilton-based tees. So yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, you can find them at www.adagio, which is spelled A-D-A-G-I-O.com, 
and uh, I'll tweet out a link to them as well. But yeah, if you're a tea drinker and you're interested in like I don't know anything that we talk about in the show related to sort of nerdy stuff, I think they'll probably have a tea for you. I scrolled through for like five minutes to come up with that list because there's so many options. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so check that out. And then uh, we'll dive into the topic of the day. So borderline personality disorder, I think, was suggested to us. And crazy ex-girlfriend was also independently suggested mm-hmm. to us. And it's a perfect way to kind of have the intersection of the two. Yeah, there was a lot, there was some reasonable amount of press coverage because a lot, the most recent episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, by the way, I should say, Brandon and I don't usually work oh, yeah. there use the word crazy to describe someone with mental health problems, but that is the title of the show. So we'll use the title of the show. Um, Basically, some press surrounding the fact that um, Rebecca Bunch, the starring character of the show, was received an official diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. And so a lot of people were talking about how that was covered. And of course, that's very much what our show does is we talk about fictional depictions of mental health and how realistic they are and so we thought it was a really good opportunity to get around to doing the episode mm-hmm. on borderline personality disorder as well as talk about something that are on a lot of people's minds the show is a popular musical comedy drama series in its I, third season Am I it's got in that its right? third okay. season i've seen seasons one and two are on netflix and for season three i watch the most recent episode that everyone was Perfect. talking about and you've seen a few episodes yeah right? yep absolutely i i didn't do my due diligence like i usually like to do for the show so i'm a little behind on the show but i have started season one so i got at least a good idea of the character and the format of the show if not all of the plot points uh, that i might have if i've seen every episode but i'm getting there yeah so the basic gist if you're listening and haven't seen the show and there will be spoilers um we already have had some spoilers but basically she, um, the the lead character, Rebecca Bunch, who's played by Rachel Bloom, is in New York, and she's had some mental health problems, a variety of different diagnoses, depression, anxiety, OCD, different things going on. And she's working in a law firm. She gets promoted or recognized right in the first episode, and she starts kind of having this emotionally intense experience. She goes outside and she's like, why am I not happy about this? And then by chance she sees Josh Chan, who was, who she had a, was a romantic thing going on while they were at summer camp. And in her mind, this was kind of a sign that the thing that will make her happy is Josh. So she kind of picks up, moves across the country to where he is to pursue a relationship with him. She doesn't know that he's in a relationship at the time. She doesn't really know anything about him at all, you know, other than it was nice to run into him. Am I remembering wrong that it had been, like, ten years? It was some... I think something like that. I mean, you know, it it seemed like it was when she was still in high school or something, and this is post-law school when this is taking. So that's kind of the the main gist of the show and, and the premise of it. And then when she gets there, she meets a lot of interesting people, and it's kind of following her plots to get together with Josh through lots of stuff that happens ultimately by the end of season two they're engaged to be married and he leaves her at the altar and so that's kind of where it's left off and and season three starts off kind of um, showing the after effects of that sure which I imagine just based on kind of my 
rudimentary or beginning conceptualization of the character, she doesn't respond well to that. Right. I guess, yeah. A yeah. lot of her behavior is sort of Josh-oriented is kind of what I've seen mm-hmm. in the first handful of episodes that I've seen so far. He plays a big role in kind of uh, what she's doing and, and, and the target of a lot of her behavior. It almost gets to the point, and also um, content heads up for all of you, we are going to be talking about suicidal behavior, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, is considering kind of jumping off of, um, I guess it's it's kind of like a cliff oh, wow. right after he leaves. She doesn't do that. Her friends kind of surround her, but then she she kind of passes out and then gets up and says she's she's kind of commits to destroying Josh Chan and her best friend. They have an interesting relationship, um, which I won't go into too much now. But that's kind of her idea is that if she gets revenge, then she'll be happy or okay again and that's so, her friend's idea no that's or, that's her idea oh, okay, that's, yeah that's rebecca's idea and her friend her friend just kind of a lot of the time will do whatever she thinks is supportive even if it's something that is harmful sure to rebecca in some way i mean she means it in a positive way but they can kind of end up doing stuff that's not helpful interesting to one another so um so anyway then from season three again i haven't seen all the episodes but um it starts off i think plotting some of this revenge and then um ultimately she has a suicide attempt wow is hospitalized for it and that's when she's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder from my understanding the approach that was was done here is that not that she they didn't write her as someone who had borderline personality disorder but they felt for the next direction the next step for her story that it would be helpful to name what the disorder was and show a treatment plan associated with it. So I, so it, at least from what I wet, read, they had had some mental health professionals watch it, oh, say wow. this seems like borderline personality disorder is the best fit. And then the co-writers of the character worked really hard on researching the disorder, learning a lot about it so that they could have an accurate and compassionate depiction, even though, show, even though the show is called crazy ex-girlfriend i think they try to show a lot of her behaviors as relatable to some people but it's still i mean it's still got some comedic elements and so it's um but anyway this is one of the first shows that i can think of that really specifically names a diagnosis there are others right that name dissociative identity disorder or they'll call someone a psychopath or something like that um and and just by coincidence, I was rewatching some of the old uh, Will and Grace episodes because oh, I've been watching the new season, and I st- and the episode I watched the night before we were uh, preparing for this, um, Grace has a diagnosis of borderline personality oh, disorder. Wow. Now it's not and a good example of handling sure. it well because it's basically she's trying to get out of something and it's like it's an excuse oh. and it's not. I mean it's. It's not handled sensitively, and this was a while ago, but um, I really was thoroughly impressed by each step that they took in this most recent episode. So anyway, we can talk more about it, but that's the premise of the show and the plot. I guess I have a question for you, Katie, Mm -hmm. Um, not having seen as much of the show that you have. In the episode that you saw in season three, is that the episode that has the diagnosis song? Yes. Okay, I did see the diagnosis song. You had sent that over to me. 
um, in an article that I read sort of about that episode. And is that the episode that depicts her, her considering a, a suicide attempt? It or is actually, that prior to that? The diagnosis is after the suicide attempt, okay. so she's hospitalized. She okay. kind of seems like she goes to, she's, she's not doing well, and it seems like what happens, I think she goes to stay with her mom for a little while, then flies back um, on the plane, and they show her um, taking a large dose of anti-anxiety medications. And it's interesting because in reading, and I have to, I don't think I've yet thanked, a lot of people um, recommend this. My friend Rob, um, I think Lauren recommended yep. this a while ago. Someone emailed about this a while ago, mm -hmm. and that is actually when I watched it. We just haven't gotten around to podcasting yeah. yet. And my friend Joy emailed me this fantastic article and um, and and also recommended the show. But when I read it, it the writers put so much effort into the suicide attempt, not doing harm to the viewers oh, wow. because they had read the research about Thirteen Reasons Why yeah. and some had some of those okay. concerns. So they wanted to make it realistic. So the way that they did this, I mean, they she's kind of taken one pill at a time. It's like a showing reluctance, which is not uncommon. Of course, suicide attempts vary. Yep. You know, but that's not uncommon. And then right after she takes all the pills on the plane, she shows the flight attendant the empty bottle. And this was part of, because from what they had read, that often people, right after they attempt suicide, they regret it or mm -hmm. they, they're worried about their own life. And yeah. so that's what influenced that. So I was really impressed at the level, at the depth they went in yeah. to make this realistic and how they consider it. So then after that is when she goes to the hospital and her friends go there to support her and there are some nice nuances around that. And she basically, she had seen a therapist pretty regularly, but there's a new mental health professional once she's in the hospital who says, I have a new diagnosis for you. And that's when she sings that okay. song about all of her hopes connected to that. Okay. But then it actually goes a, a step further in the show. I mean, the song is impressive. We'll link to that because it, it really gets into the nuances of how someone can be hopeful that like if they find out what's wrong with them that there's a treatment yeah. for it you know but also a little anxious about yeah, what absolutely. will it say kind of thing and she talks about like what the mental health professional says is that i don't i think you've been diagnosed with a lot of things in the past and i think they're wrong and that's not uncommon mm -hmm. i think especially anecdotally for personality mm -hmm. disorders where they've been diagnosed with like a different things but it's not kind of what's conceptualized as the underlying part mm -hmm. of it. And so she goes in and, and learns about her diagnosis. And the, the mental health professional says, no, don't Google it. And I thought that was interesting because yeah. in the study that I did with some uh, other graduate students back when I was at Florida State University, was looking at clients' reactions to learning their diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And one of the things in our script was, now I know it's tempting, but if there's a lot of bad information online. And and she did what most people would do, which is she then yeah. Googled it right. and saw all these terrible things about you know borderline personality disorder. There are people who won't treat individuals with it and um, a, a bunch of negative things about yeah. it being stigmatizing and elevated risk for suicide and all this stuff. And then she kind of panics, doesn't go to her group therapy, and goes to get a second opinion with her kind of regular therapist. And this I just loved. The therapist says, um, 
Well, let's go through the criteria together. They she lists all nine of the borderline personality wow. disorder symptoms. I know. Really? Yes. That's amazing. It's actually. it is amazing. And for each one, they have a flash of in Rebecca's mind recognizing a time where she exhibited that she actually has exhibited in the story all nine sure. of the symptoms. And so she hears that and she's like, That is me. So she recognizes it. It's a good example of being frank with someone yeah. about what their diagnosis is, where you've come from, being in a kind and compassionate way. And she's still processing it. I mean, she's not mm-hmm. like happy about it and everything's better, but it's more like she feels like there's some direction to go into. So anyway, I, as you can tell, I was very impressed, yeah. which is why I recapped a lot of the episode. But I swear when you look at all the nuances, it's like, they must have read some of the studies on this stuff because they capture it so beautifully and read what people wrote. Right. You know? I remember thinking that having read the study mm-hmm. that you referenced that you and your uh, colleagues did in graduate school. I re- thinking of that study in mind when I watched the diagnosis song, I, I, I'm prob- maybe I'm reaching a little bit, but I would be almost willing to bet that some of the things in that paper that are described about feeling hopeful with the specific delivery of a diagnosis, they were captured in the song. That seemed like... Oh, it's a very strong coincidence it was if pretty it wasn't cool. yeah. I definitely was thinking when I teach this, like I this video, and Joy was saying this too, she also teaches, and saying this video really captures when we're talking about diagnostic feedback. Yeah. And basically, um, you know, where that all came from was the controversy over some people saying if you tell someone their diagnosis that they'll have a negative response. But what this shows is that if you do it in such a way that you're collaborative, respectful, and... And also, Rebecca has a bunch of very good questions, like kind of rapid-fire questions. And he says, let's just start with the therapy before we get into that. And that's when she Googles it. And so I can totally understand if you don't give someone the information, you've given them this diagnosis, then they're going to look for it. Like I would do, I would do the same thing, but overall I think it's, it's just really well done. So I don't think I've ever seen in a TV show or movie before where they actually read the diagnostic criteria in that fashion. Like I've seen, you know, where they might haphazardly throw terms or jargon terms, but actually go through and read them like that. I've never seen that. I can't think of, I can't think of one either. And I think that that's why I was part why I was so impressed by the way that they handled a lot of different aspects and you know there there are also these side things like the friends being not sure about how to best help her mm-hmm. after her suicide attempt there's someone she works with who's starting to deal with he recognizing that his mother attempted suicide when he was younger so they have a lot of this stuff going on and and so it's it's great I'm gonna watch it again because I'm sure I've missed it um, some of the aspects yeah. of it. I'm very curious uh, when I get that far to mm-hmm. see how they depict the suicide attempt. Yeah. Because just based on what I've seen so far, which isn't a lot, it surprises me. It seems like the show must evolve a lot. Because so far, the show is really, I think, quirky is maybe the yeah. right word. And to hear them grappling uh, really serious issues in a way that's meaningful and thoughtful and, I think, uh, informative, that kind of surprises me, to be honest. Not that I'm not a fan of the show, but... That they go into really serious territory like that while maintaining, I presume, the humor of the show. Yeah. That surprises me. They do. You know, the writer said that, that when they started, the character was kind of a combination of their two personality traits exaggerated a little bit or a combination of who they were. But then her behavior goes from stuff that most people can relate to, like Mm -hmm. they were saying 
looking at someone scanning someone's social media or Instagram page to see what they're up to, like stuff that a lot of people have yeah. done to some of the more maladaptive sure. extreme stuff. And so as they unveil some of those reactions, intensity of your emotions, her fear of abandonment and yeah. some of her behaviors, they said now it feels like it's crossing over into a different range that's wow. kind of in the pathological end. And so they wanted to do more of that. And it's still like, it is still couched in the humor and the musical yeah, stuff. Which I think is good. Yeah. It, it makes it approachable and consumable and accessible. Mm -hmm. Uh, not that I ever want to get back on the topic, but other shows that we've covered <laughs> that have depicted suicide attempts, I don't think uh, are very approachable or, or yeah. things that I would ever want to watch again. Yeah, and it's not for everyone. Some people wouldn't like sure. humor anywhere near something relevant to so. that. But it's but for a certain audience, that's accessible, and it's worth mentioning, as we'll talk about later, that the one of the most empirically supported or evidence-based treatments for borderline personality disorder just called dialectical behavior therapy has an aspect of it where the the designer of it marshall linehan uses a reverence mm -hmm. which can include humor but other mm -hmm. things too like talking about taboo topics to basically get to the point and so that's part of her style and so i think i don't know if they've asked her about the show i'd be interested in her opinion but i think it's not it's it's consistent with some approaches in therapy where you're not trivializing the subject mm -hmm. at all, but you're also allowed to kind of, I don't know, play with it, be a little playful with it yeah. too. So I was impressed by that because I don't think that's easy to pull off something as serious about suicide right. and diagnosis and mental health problems while having kind of silly, funny parts about right. it. And obviously, people are going to have different opinions, but I thought they yeah. did it. I actually pulled up a few quotes from people who had been diagnosed with borderline oh, personality fantastic. disorder. Because it's important to look at how, and of course, their people have are going to have variable perceptions, but oh, yeah, want to pay attention to people who've had lived experience with borderline oh, personality so disorder. So important to get those perspectives as well. Yeah, yeah so just a, a, couple, a couple examples. One is, um, for me, it was spot on. Her life was almost like my life on TV. Mighty community member Sophie S. commented, she portrayed BPD perfectly for me. Uh, here's another Mighty community member, Carissa W. That's what it says on, not breaking anonymity or anything, that's sure. what it says in the article, wrote of the show, I think Crazy Ex-Girlfriend depicts BPD in a lighthearted way. Realistically, it's a lot more painful, not as surface. I like how the character doesn't take herself too seriously, and she captures the way she is in her own world very well. Other than that, it's a pretty far-off portrayal of how detrimental it can be. So, very yeah. different perspectives. Understandably, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, that's those are all the things that I think are great about this show. One of the main things, though, is understanding borderline personality disorder. So, should we launch into what that is? That sounds like a great idea and might provide a lot more context for the show for maybe people who haven't seen it or aren't familiar with the disorder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. We won't be singing, unfortunately. Not this episode. No. Probably never. I don't episodes. have a great singing voice. I don't either. I'll I was be honest. in choir. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Did you know that about No. Me? I was in choir when I was much younger. Um, it's time to bring it back. Yeah, it's probably why I get into like musicals mm -hmm. and why I liked the first season of Glee. I didn't like the subsequent seasons as much, <laughs> but I really liked the first one. It was good. 
I'm getting distracted again. <laughs> it's the end of the week. Uh, so borderline personality disorder, we've had a few people, like I said, suggest it. It's something that we've probably referenced on the show, I assume, but never spent any time really digging into. So uh, to kind of start, borderline personality disorder, unsurprisingly, is one of the personality disorders in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which folks who may be our first-time listeners or just as a refresher for other folks, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, or DSM-5, which 5 is the current edition, is the handbook of mental disorders that describes the individual disorders and their specific diagnostic criteria uh, to determine for, for mental health professionals to determine whether or not an individual meets the criteria for each disorder. Um, so uh, borderline personality disorder, of course, one of the personality disorders, uh, it's part of the cluster B personality disorders and the personality disorders section. And uh, perhaps just like the show, we'll just cycle through then uh, nine potential diagnostic criteria. Maybe we should say what cluster B Oh, means. that's a nice idea. Yeah. So there are three clusters uh, of personality disorders. Uh, there's cluster A, B, and C. And basically what they are is just uh, ways of identifying or kind of uh, lumping not lumping, grouping the specific uh, personality disorders together. So cluster A uh, really consists of the odd or eccentric uh, behavior-related disorders. So these are things like, or not things like, but very specifically, personality, uh, paranoid personality disorder, schizoid personality disorder, or schizotypal personality disorder. So um, someday maybe we'll have a personality disorder and really dig into what those specific ones are, but just for today to kind of list them. Sure, that sounds good. And then cluster B, which is where uh, borderline personality disorder falls in. These are uh, disorders that are uh, conceptualized or consist of dramatic, emotional, or erratic behavior. Uh, in addition to BPD, you also have antisocial personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, and narcissistic personality disorder. And some of those we've covered uh, in the podcast and in the blog. Especially, I think, antisocial personality mm -hmm. disorder we yeah. covered quite a bit. And I think a little bit of narcissistic, too. Maybe yeah. I'm remembering wrong. Well, but. we did have... Anakin. Antisocial the most, for yeah. sure, but narcissistic. Oh, for, no, I mean... Oh, for um, narcissistic. Yeah, narcissistic. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We, we diagnosed Anakin Skywalker mm -hmm. with it, so... At the inception of the Jedi Council podcast, yes, actually. Yes, yeah. that, that's correct. And then Cluster C are the personality disorders that consist of anxious or fearful behavior. So this is where you've got avoidant personality disorder, dependent personality disorder, and obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, which uh, is another one that we actually talked about in mm -hmm. the context of Batman or Bruce mm -hmm. Wayne. Yeah, that's right. So uh, to kind of put that into perspective, cluster B is where we're at for uh, borderline personality disorder. And really what it consists of is a pervasive rather pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image, and affects, and market impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following criteria. And reading this right out of the DSM. Mm -hmm. so. One thing I guess I should mention that I, I'll connect a few things to the show mm -hmm. uh, is sometimes I think in clinical experience, and maybe you've had this experience too, if someone shows up and they've got different types of problems in different areas mm -hmm. and you can't quite figure out how mm -hmm. they go together, this is just a rule of thumb. That's when I usually consider whether they have a personality disorder because personality disorders overall are looking at the person's patterns of interpersonal behavior and their worldview and how those might affect basically their interactions with others and their behaviors mm -hmm. and so each of them has that as part of the characteristics so if you see someone who's got problems in different areas before considering diagnosing them with you know three or four mm -hmm. different 
anxiety, depressive, other things like that. And people can have those too. But I might consider, is there something underlying this? And I think that's what Rebecca really struggles with, is that she's getting, oh, it's OCD. Well, that's the thing. Oh, it's depression. Oh, it's anxiety. And she does have symptoms of those. But what the suggestion of it, at least, is that if you're not facing what's driving all this, which is her instabilities and and feelings and, and things like that, then you might not be most effectively treating her. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, thinking back to my first year of practicum. I worked with a, a supervisor named Dr. Joseph Cox, who is a, a fantastic psychologist. And that was one of the first things I remember learning from him. He really had a, a keen eye for personality disorders, which is it's sometimes tricky to conceptualize. And I remember there it was a client who, or a client I think who was staffed or something who had a whole gambit of, of previous disorders. And that was one of the first things he said is anytime you have someone like that who has this history of multiple uh, diagnoses from maybe multiple providers, he said, just stop and, and consider a personality disorder right off the bat. That might not be the case, but he said it, it's a safe bet uh, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to, to mirror what you said. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think that um, the I was lucky in that one of my supervisors in grad school kind of impressed upon us that personality disorders are hard to diagnose because often the person who's struggling with it, they may not have mm-hmm. insight into what the common link is between mm-hmm. all the different behaviors, and it can be hard to assess. So it's it can be helpful if you kind of are aware of what they are and, and notice these patterns so that you can more effectively treat clients. Yeah, absolutely. So should we dive into the uh, specific diagnostic yeah. criteria? Sure. Okay, so just as a, as a reminder, uh, to meet the diagnostic criteria, five or more of the following have to be present. So the first, we have frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. Um, and it sounds like this is something that's depicted in the show for sure in later seasons. Yes, and in fact, when Rebecca's receiving the diagnostic feedback, they kind of flash to a scene where Josh is leaving and she's begging him to not go. She also has some issues where her father did abandon her, and that has kind of, um, it's understandable that she would have that fear. But the the key here is that it's the frantic effort part that she'll kind of do things that um, seem dramatic to others. And when I say dramatic, I'm not trying to be stigmatizing. I'm just trying to say, you know, her pain, uh, her way of trying to address her pain will be trying to do things that strike other people's dramatic. In fact, even in the first episode, Josh yep. says something about her being dramatic or yeah, intense or absolutely. something like that. And they actually even depict the scene where her father leaves too in all mm-hmm. the early ones and some of the things that even, you know, uh, yeah, that it, it is captured even in the first few episodes mm-hmm. for sure. So interesting. Okay. Uh, the second one is a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. So it sounds like that's maybe captured, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, by the sort of, uh, certainly there's an impetus to feel this way, but the shift between, the first two seasons, I think, are all kind of about her trying to get or be in a relationship with Josh, and then it sounds like season three is about her maybe trying to destroy his life. Have well, I got that right? Well, or? I haven't. Like I said, I've only, I only okay, watched the sure. most recent thing of season three, so I am missing some of the okay. sections. But there are some things in between where she has, uh, she is dating someone else, Greg. Is, is he the bartender yes. guy? Yes. Okay. And she has some ups and downs with him and, okay. and, and certainly some issues there. And Paula, who's her kind of best friend from work, 
they're they're actually a lot of the people she ends up having a number of good friends but with valencia and stuff like that she ends up having these kind of intense yeah relationship um concerns sure Interesting. And thank you for letting me lean on you about the show. I'm no, still so new. Well, I'm <laughs> unfortunately, I don't have all of season three, but I figured I should at least watch the big talked about episodes so that, um, but yeah. Together we have most of the show. <laughs> I have very We much. didn't want to wait. We didn't, no. It's so interesting and so requested. Um, okay, so the third uh, is identity disturbance, so markedly or persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. Um, if I can jump in, I, mm-hmm. I want to give examples when I can because sure. I'm so few. I think, uh, remind me, I'm sorry, uh, Josh's girlfriend early on in the series, is that Valencia? Valencia, Okay, yeah. so you see some of this with Rebecca right away where all of a sudden she's wearing the same dress as Valencia yeah. and they're going out to the club and doing dancing. And I think her friend at the law firm sort of comments and says, what are you doing? Why are you wearing this dress? Why are you... All of a sudden, why are you Valencia? So I think that was a perfect example of that unstable sense of self and identity where she really, uh, she's friends of Valencia and all of a sudden she's doing yoga and and, uh, she's going to the club in the very shiny dress that isn't sort of typical of what we see her wearing at other times. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, great example. And and one of the things, you know, she has the nine of the nine symptoms with several examples, but um, we should mention since it's five of nine people with this disorder can look a, you know, have a variety of different symptom configurations. Yeah, absolutely. They You could have two people with only one overlapping mm-hmm. symptom, so this can look a lot different across mm-hmm. individuals, yeah. Uh, the next is um, impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. So there's certainly, I think, some examples of that in the show. Um, you might have more examples than I do, but... Well, one, one of the things... I mean, some of it is like her plotting to manipulate... People, I don't know if that would exactly fall in this category, but sometimes it's not well thought through. When the when her therapist is giving her the feedback, they show her having having sex with someone in kind of an impulsive move, and that that you know not all the times that she engages in sexual behavior is it impulsive or something like that. But there are some situations in which she seems to maybe regret that that's sure. what she was involved in. Um, in terms of other stuff that that comes to mind it seems like a lot of her impulsivity so like i usually i typically think of things like cutting binge eating um, unprotected sex stuff like that Mm -hmm. but you know i she has this it seems like a lot of times she'll do stuff that's she it's like she's so focused on the thing that she thinks will make her happy which is very painful yeah that she loses sight of how it affects goals and even others i mean there were some problems between her and paula because of her hyper focus on things like that so there are definitely some times where she doesn't seem to fully think through things as much maybe i'm wrong but even in the beginning she gives up her promotion and moves across the country yeah that could be damaging yeah uh, depending on the sort of uh um a job prospects or whatever she has when she moved to the new Mm -hmm. town yeah that could be enough uh, the next is recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures or threats, or self-mutilating behavior. Yeah, so she does. She she has had at least at least two suicide attempts, and she it does. So I I mean yep. I guess there's not much more to say. Nope, we just, talked a it, lot about yeah. the one that was leading up in the more recent episode. Yeah. And there, the other occurred prior to the show starting. Is that? Or? I, you know, I'm trying to remember. Sure. I feel like there is a a flashback where she's talking about it, okay. but I could be wrong. Okay. 
So listeners, do at me if I'm yes. if I'm incorrect. Yeah. Uh, the next is affective instability due to a marked uh, reactivity of mood. So yeah, that that one's another kind of straightforward one that I think is pretty prevalent throughout uh, the depiction. Of she has very character. intense emotions, and um, you know you can understand why that would be so painful to someone if they're have if their mood is moving around a lot. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, how hard it can be to really to not act on impulse some of that mm-hmm. time or to, to be unclear of your identity if your feelings are moving around like that. I think that's really tough. And a lot of that can drive some of the impulsive behavior, basically trying to, to affect mood without having the, mm-hmm. the skills and tools to do that, which is where the, the therapy comes in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next is chronic feelings of emptiness. I'm not sure I've seen any of that yet, but of course I haven't seen as much of the show. They flash to the clip. Sure. I mean, it's so good that of her basically saying that she feels empty. And and that, I have heard clinically working with people, is really tough. Feeling yeah. like there's a void within you. And, and it's suggested that that's some of why she pursues these relationships in the belief mm-hmm. that that will fill the emptiness. And towards the end of season two... She gets her dad to come to the wedding, and it's sad because she's really trying. She's so excited. She's like, the two most important men to me are here, my dad and Josh. And she, it's almost like Josh is kind of looking at, like, why is she so focused on her dad? And she even mentions Robert, who is a professor that she had had an affair with a while ago, and um, who got a restraining order on her mm-hmm. after she lit some things on fire in um, his apartment and actually made her go to law school in another institution. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole other thing. And it does start to feel like it shows how it's not that much about Josh, Mm -hmm. that it's really about trying to fill the emptiness. And actually I thought this was clever. The most recent episode is called Josh is irrelevant. And Josh kind of is dealing with his own stuff because he had told Rebecca, he wanted her to go away, so he's blaming himself for her suicide attempt. But she's not even thinking about it. She's thinking about the diagnosis. So it's for the first time this recognition that she's got a lot of these things going on, and a lot of it was about her and her idea of how she could feel whole again. Okay. Well, the next is inappropriate, intense anger or difficulty controlling anger. So another one that's probably pretty straightforward and yeah. consistently depicted in the show. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned um understandably her being very upset when when Robert was ending things with her but, you know, to light his place on fire. And I do want to talk about like negative stereotypes of people with borderline personality disorder. That's not a typical thing or something, right. but in this case that's one example of her having really intense anger and the inappropriate part is basically the well, the lighting things on part. Sure. And then the last is uh, transient stress-related paranoid ideation or severe dissociative symptoms. And I have to say, out of all of the nine potential, that's the one I guess I, I haven't seen at all yet or in the show, unless I maybe missed it. But. I missed it, but then when they have the feedback sure. session, they kind of flashed her having these times where she's zoned out, basically. Oh, okay. So they, you know, these, as opposed to dissociative identity disorder, what we've talked about, these are often, there's something very, it's transient, right? It's right. stress-related, so it's not as severe as mm-hmm. having another personality or something like right. that. And so it's it's not as obvious, but they did show sometimes where she kind of zones out. 
yeah. stressed. Yeah, we talked about that a mm-hmm. lot in the Dissociative Identity Disorder episode. But, of course, dissociation is probably something that we've all done if you've ever driven a few miles down the road and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, geez, where, yeah. where am I? That's dissociation. Exactly. Yep. And and while on that point, one of the things about personality disorders that has been a little controversial is that some people argue that they're, they should be viewed as kind of dimensional or mm-hmm. continuous, meaning that everybody has personality traits, but when they're at extreme levels, they can become a problem, whereas others view it as like a category. You either have it or you do not. That's been a big controversy. Yes. Currently, they are categories, but often I like when I'm teaching about this in my class, I'll say, you know, when I talk about personality disorders, you're going to recognize some things that seem familiar, but keep in mind it has to be pervasive, it has to cause distress, yeah. it has to cause impairment. We're not trying to say someone has a mental disorder because they're an emotional or sensitive right. person or that they have strong feelings. That's that's not fair at all. It's just really if what's happening to them, it, like Rebecca's causing distress and impairment. Yeah, absolutely. So should we talk a little bit about some of the prevalence rates? Um, or jumping into those, these come from the DSM as well, but I'm sure there's a number of uh, epidemiological or review studies that have all this data as well that you could look up if you are so inclined. But just some rough numbers uh, estimate that uh, in the population, uh, the estimates fall somewhere between about 1.6 and 5.9% of folks uh, might experience borderline personality disorder. Um, in primary care settings, about 6% of individuals. Uh, in outpatient mental health settings, about 10%. Um, among psychiatric inpatients, somewhere around like 20%. And there's some data suggests that uh, these prevalence rates might decrease a bit uh, in older age groups. Just as a quick, that was, that was the new segment, Brandon's Prevalence Rate Corner. <laughs> a really quick rundown of the prevalence rates right from the DSM. I like it. Yeah. I don't know. That's all That's all I got. That's all I got for prevalence rates. <laughs> I think that's all you need to know. How common is the thing? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess... And these are all um, point prevalence rates, not yeah. lifetime prevalence right. rates. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. No At problem. At any given time. Yes. Uh, what next? Risk and prognostic factors? Yeah, this is... And this um, this comes up in the episode oh. when Rebecca's asking questions. She's like, did I get it from my mom? It was my mom, wasn't it? <laughs> Whatever. They, <laughs> they seem to have sort of a contentious relationship, at least in the first couple episodes. I, that continues, I presume. Yeah, we'll talk more about this when we talk about dialectical behavior okay. therapy. But one of the models, for sure, is that if someone is in an, in an invalidating environment... Okay. Uh, that they and they are emotionally on the higher end of emotional sensitivity mm-hmm. that that combination can lead to difficulties regulating emotion and borderline personality disorder and I would you know having a father who left or who's trying to scam yep. her for money basically at the end of season oh, two wow. and a mom who is controlling about what she wants her to do mm-hmm. and judgmental about things um, that that is that's an invalidating environment. It's mm-hmm. basically saying your feelings aren't the most important thing. And so that environment, that's not really the genetic part of it. But right. there's some environment at least consistent with that that model, I'll okay. say. Sure. Uh, some of the... Which hasn't been thoroughly tested to my knowledge, but it's right. a model that is used within the treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the genetic risk factors just out of the DSM, again, kind of like my prevalence factors corner, this is the genetic and physiological risk uh, factors corner. Uh, so you might be, uh, or individuals are five times more likely uh, to experience borderline personality disorder among first-degree biological relatives, 
uh, who might have the disorder just in the general population. And then there's, in addition, an increased familial risk for substance use disorder, antisocial personality disorder, uh, or depressive or bipolar disorders as well, individuals who have uh, bipolar, or, um, geez, uh, borderline personality disorder. Earlier I was going to clarify the difference between bipolar and borderline personality disorder. I forgot, then we moved on, and now I just misspoke and it reminded me that I think we were going to do that. Well, now's a good time. Now is a good time. So we've talked about bipolar disorder on the show before, I think, but as a quick reminder, bipolar disorder is one of our mood disorders, and that's a disorder that can uh, consists of uh, manic or hypomanic episodes, and, and those are just kind of episodes of increased or elevated mood or agitation that can lead to some uh, you know, very maladaptive behaviors like impulsive spending or uh, fights or, uh, you know, reckless behaviors kind of like that, uh, that can alternate with depressive episodes as well, where, uh, of course, I think most folks are kind of generally familiar with depressive episodes, but uh, low mood, uh, anhedonia or loss of pleasure in things, loss of appetite, uh, insomnia or hypersomnia, symptoms like that. So alternating symptoms like that. And that's where that sort of differentiates from the diagnostic criteria that we just described for borderline personality disorder. Yeah, exactly. They're kind of um, tend to be longer lasting mm -hmm. on average mood states for days. That's not always true, but in mm -hmm. the typical and a middle euthymic period yep. where the person is essentially symptom free. You don't tend to see that as much with borderline personality disorder. In addition, the agitation or the mania expansive mood doesn't tend to be at that extreme of a level where the right. person is not sleeping and, and things right. like that. When people who have bipolar disorder can also have borderline features, mm -hmm. but but it's there are differences. And diagnostically, one way to do it is to map out the length of their mood states to get a decent yeah. estimate of it. Um, so, and you know, the con the commonality in talking about genetic risk that we see between substance use, antisocial, those are both have an element of impulsivity, which mm -hmm. you see with borderline personality disorder. And depressive or bipolar, of course, are mood disturbances, yeah. which you also see in borderline personality disorder, which was so named, I don't think I mentioned that this time, why it's called borderline. No. Do you know why it's called borderline? Uh, I don't think I do. Or if I did, I've forgotten. Well. <laughs> <laughs> which is true of a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully this is accurate now. Now I'm like, am I just, no. Um, so the idea, like, Early, early classifications, old-timey classifications of mental health problems were divided into the neurotic and the psychotic, and psychotic was more like schizophrenia or people mm -hmm. not being in touch with reality. Sure. And neurotic was more... It, none of these terms are considered currently... They're, a lot of them are considered insensitive, yeah. So, but, the, but from the old-timey... Or... or um, Neurotic was, you know, people had negative mood and stuff like that. And so borderline was considered in between those two because you saw features of both, right? Like some of the dissociation or paranoia that you might see, but also the negative mood disturbance. So that's why it was called borderline. Interesting. I just learned a new thing. <laughs> it's a good day. <laughs> I'm glad I could help out. Thank you. I was really worried I was going to get to the end of the day with anything new. <laughs> I could tell you were concerned. Yeah, I was really But it distracted. is kind of funny that it's still called that because it is kind of a, I don't know, borderline, like hearing that. I don't know. Yeah, it's, that is interesting, isn't it, that that name stuck. Well, mm -hmm. as a field, we've really grown and adopted a lot, I would say, more progressive terminology for a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we held on to that. I wonder if that has any 
relationship with the kind of the stigma that borderline personality disorder has in the general population? My guess is probably not, but it, it makes me wonder. Yeah, it's it's tough though because it does seem like once you've labeled a mental health problem, as long as there's mental health stigma, that can be used as an offensive term towards people, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of this revolving yeah. thing. But borderline especially, because if even narcissistic personality disorder, like that's pretty descriptive of what it is. Antisocial is descriptive. Yeah. You hear borderline, it's like you you wouldn't really have a sense of what that means, or I wouldn't mm-hmm. anyway. My my guess is most people probably don't who, yeah. who aren't initiated with the information or context in some way. Yeah. Yeah, because even like depression, which most people know about, mm-hmm. but the term, you're depressed. Right, exactly. Makes sense, yeah. Huh. Kind of a semantic little discussion mm-hmm. that we've just had. But renaming it also seems weird, too, because it's been kind of identified and people are familiar with it. And... Oh, yeah. At this point, I would think that would be a bad yeah. move. I would not support that idea. Hmm. Do we have anything else that we want to cover today before we move uh, on to ending the podcast? I think... It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird sort of transition. Well, I don't know if you want to just mention the gender-related oh, diagnostic sure. issues at all, but we could, we'll also have time next podcast episode, too. Huh? I, I'm, I'm going to leave that executive podcast decision up to you, Katie. <laughs> Why don't we mention it since I already introduced okay, it? that sounds good. I so, want people to wonder. Well, that does leave a cliffhanger, though. But <laughs> So... Uh, in the DSM, of course, it also covers gender-related diagnostic issues, and really the main take-home point is that it's diagnosed uh, predominantly in women. About 75% of the cases of diagnosis are in women as opposed to men. Uh, and I think, uh, I, it looks like you're probably pulling up the research, I think there's been some issues related to that where, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I'm trying to remember my research and sometimes my my brain doesn't do as good of a job as it could, that there is maybe some bias in the way the diagnosis comes out, where sometimes men who present with the symptoms might get missed because it's thought of as predominantly presenting in women, and sometimes uh, the diagnosis is, uh, I don't know, stigmatized towards women who uh, might I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, there there might be a little bit of a bias. Like one of the things that people have suggested is that when you talk about inappropriate or intense anger, that cultural views of what is appropriate right. and intense anger vary. And there's been some suggestion that there could be gender bias in that. So is a certain level of anger considered less appropriate for a woman than it might be for a man? That's something that people have talked about. Yeah. And so... Um, do people unfairly label and do those biases exist? And there is, so that's been some of the discussion around it. And what, at least anecdotally, and in some of my clinical experience, if you have men and women presenting with like some impulsive behaviors, you might see some bias towards the men being diagnosed with antisocial, which they're diagnosed at much higher rates. And there's been similar argument about, is there a bias there that when you're looking at, some of those behaviors that are more, the threshold's pretty high for antisocial behavior mm-hmm. in that it, if you're, I don't know, physically aggressive. Yeah. Of course, women do that too, but at lower rates. And so yeah. some people have suggested maybe you're missing some women that have antisocial personality disorder because it's more focused on a male presentation. Now, is it gender bias or is it culture shaping the manifestations? Mm. I mean, this has been an important area of research and controversy, but the most important take-home point for therapists, I think, is to be aware of those potential biases. Use structured interviews to diagnose someone 
And if you're thinking someone's anger is intense or inappropriate, or for that matter, if it's a man and you think that their emotional range seems inappropriate, think about, is that because I'm biased about how much emotion I think men should express or experience? And I think that keeping those in mind can reduce the amount of bias that goes into the diagnostic decision. Yeah. Thank you for articulating what I was stumbling over. Oh, I'm very interested in (laughs) diagnostic bias. And since I'm teaching, just like when you were taking the lead on behavior modification, (laughs) I'm teaching diversity in clinical psychology. This semester I had the last class today, and so one thing we think about is how bias might affect diagnosis. It's fresh in the mind. (laughs) It's good to lean on that teaching experience (laughs) or knowledge. Either way. Okay, I think that's it for today. We're going to return to this topic, talk about uh, dialectical behavior therapy, the frontline treatment for borderline personality disorder, and maybe more discussion about the show. I don't know for sure yet. Sure, uh, if, it, if it comes up, yeah. I think that we can tie into that. I, I guess one more small thing I'll mention, sure. I promise, and wrap up, is an, there is some evidence that individuals who have survived sexual assault or sexual abuse, that they might have, that that might put them at greater risk for borderline personality disorder And the data tend to suggest that girls and women are more likely to be targeted for sexual assault and sexual abuse. So that's another possibility for some of the gender differences that we see in in the diagnostic rates. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is all probabilistic. So not saying every case is like this, but these are just some of the things that have been positive for. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That sounds good. We'll wrap it up there today. If you have any questions about borderline personality disorder or questions about uh, DBT before we get to it, or maybe just general questions about the show, feel free to tweet, message, email, Facebook, or snail mail them to us. <laughs> I don't think our address is available anywhere, but you can certainly can't... just send it to NDSU. Maybe I'll find its way. Uh, no, email a... will be better, though. <laughs> certainly more timely. Or fax. Or, or fax. Or, or pigeon care. I don't even know how to send a fax. I don't think I've ever done it. Oh, wait, that's not true. I probably have. I have. I don't know. This is a, a, certainly a... a Twitter's our preferred. <laughs> Twitter is preferred. Please tweet at us. I look at the Twitter every day. Or Facebook. I don't have that's a fax machine. <laughs> okay. I'm turning this podcast off now. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council Podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.